know.com clarity about reality Today is the 20th of Rajab. This means that there are some nine days left before we go looking for the moon for Sha'ban. If it proves to be the case that Rajab is only 29 days, then this leaves 29 or 30 days before Ramadan comes. If it proves to be 30 days, then this leaves 30 days before the coming of Ramadan. As I've said before, those among you who are able to start the process of doing qada fasts should do so now while you're able, while you're strong. Because if outside and what we've been seeing for the past few days is anything to judge by, this is a sign of what is coming for Ramadan. And the dead heat of Ramadan could possibly be the strongest heat that you've felt as of yet since you've been fasting. It's also worthy to consider if you have any long-term health conditions or what have you, medications or anything such as that to get that looked into. Don't wait until Ramadan and then begin to ask all of your fiqh on the third night of Ramadan. This is, this is bad planning and you have to start to think very carefully and use your time wisely. In addition to this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has left us with a sign in Surah Al-A'raf, the seventh Surah, 120, where he mentions to us, "A'udhu billahi min al-shaytan al-rajim, fa'uqiya al-sahratu sajidin, qalu amanna bi-rabbi al-alamin, rabbi Musa wa Harun. And the magicians all fell down prostrate, saying, we believe in the Lord of all creation, the Lord of Musa and the Lord of Harun. <clears throat> These ayat, Surah Araf, the seventh surah, ayat 120 to 122. I want you to keep these ayat in your mind as I narrate something to you. Some 1400 years ago and more, Egypt was a Christian country. The dominant religion of that country was Coptic Christianity. They belonged to what was called the autocephalous churches of the great Coptic rite. The autocephalous churches are a collection of churches that claim apostolic authority in an unbroken chain back to the original foundation stone of what is being referred to as Christianity. The churches of Egypt and by Egypt I mean Sudan because the border is a false border. That particular church is believed to have been founded by Mirqa, one of the great patriarchs of the past, Mirqa. From that point, Christianity trickled into the people of Egypt and they became Christians. And this was the church they adopted. This was the same Coptic church the Ethiopians adopted. This was the same Coptic church that the Kenyans adopted. This is the same Coptic church that Sub-Saharan Africa, most of its people adopted, was this Coptic church. Now, those 1400 and years ago, 1400 and so years ago, a massive explosion took place out of Arabia, which was just next door to Egypt. 
men whose clothes and bodies and souls have been purified by Islam exploded out of Arabiyah with the speech of Allah in one hand and the reins of their camel or a, or a sword in the other. And they marched westward, forsaking their families, forsaking their luxuries, forsaking everything that they had before. These people in their past, these Arabs, were either pagans or themselves Christians in the past. And Islam came and guided them. So these 124,000 companions erupted out of the peninsula and marched into Egypt. The largest tribe of them were the Kinana. The Kinana were made up of the Fakhiri, the Musa'idi, and all the tribes that you see, these Bedouin tribes in the Sinai. And one of these men, there were two men actually. One man's name was Rashid, and another man's name, another man's name was uh, Musqat. And they were both from the Aniza. And Rashid, who's also alternatively called Rashid, said he would move forward with his family to Egypt. Musqat and the others from Masa'idi said they would stay in the Gulf. It is from here that you found the Muslims marching in one direction and the other. And this is part of what split the Kinana tribe into two almost equal parts. So the Rashid, which were the Al-Khalifa Rashid, and the rest of the Kinana, they went into Egypt. The Al-Khalifa Thani, they went into the Gulf and all the other areas. And this was the beginning of Islam going in to Egypt as we know it now. Those people that became Muslim at the hands of those companions, or those who were not companions, from Rashid al-Khalifa or from the others. Those people left the Coptic church because they believed in it, because they believed in Islam. They left all the worship that they had. And conversion was over hundreds of years in a slow process. Now today, 20% of Egypt is still Christian. But a testament to the dedication those people had when they saw Islam that was brought. Because the Egyptians that were Coptics, you have to understand, their civilization was advanced. They already wore robes of silk and ate very uh, seasoned food. When the Muslims that were Arabs came to them, these were hearty Bedouin, Bedouin tribesmen. They didn't have all the sophistication that they were used to. They didn't have the fancy theological rhetoric. They had a simple principle. This is the book of Allah, this is the Quran. What do you say about this? And the simplicity of that faith is what made men leave monasteries. It's what made nuns leave their nunneries. It's what made churches get converted into messages. It's what transformed this people 
from being Christians in the majority to being Muslims in the majority. Now, as I said, 20% of the country, 20% of it remains Christian. 20%. Asyult and Aswan both have sizable numbers of Christians, which are residuals from the period before the Muslims arrived. I want to focus your attention on one of these Christians in particular. One woman by the name of Azza Wilyum. Azza Wilyum is from Isyud and came from a family of people who were witnesses to the apparition of the Virgin Mary, which was the founding of the church where she lived in, in the village where she came from, which is adjoining Asyut. When Gamal Abdul Nasser took over and they launched the 1967 Six-Day War in which the Arabs got their pants whipped off of them by the Israelis, and rightly so, because they marched on the Israelis with communism and the Israelis had what was left of their corrupt Torah. And the corrupt Torah, even though it has corruptions in it, it has some pieces of it all revealed, so they got the pants whipped off of them by these Israelis. Every year, Egyptian Christians and Palestinian Christians, because the majority of Palestinians are Christians, 51 to 52% of Palestinians are Christian, especially in Gaza. Every year, there's a procession where they march and they go to the Church of the Nativity and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That year in 1967, they couldn't because the area was occupied and the crossing was too dangerous. So, there was an appearance of the apparition of the Virgin Mary, which was more than 30 feet tall that was captured by cameras, that was captured in uh, photographs taken, it was in the newspaper, and in clippings all across the world, which you can research yourself. So we're not disputing the reality that it happened. We're disputing who did this. So this woman, Azza Wiyum, is from the family of people who witnessed one of the apparitions of the Virgin Mary. Came from a good family. Strong background in the Coptic church. Great grounding. Estranged from her husband. Had problems with her husband. Their marriage wasn't working out. And Coptics, like any, any people that are strong about their faith, believe that marriage is the backbone of any society. But their marriage was estranged. Aza Wilyum left, telling her husband ostensibly that she had to take care of some business. She comes back a month later wearing niqab and gloves and Muslim. The response of her husband, she went to pick up her child from school and she was attacked and suffered a brutal knife attack on her chest, thighs, and back. Over 20 something odd knife wounds to her body for becoming Muslim. Now the husband, because of where they lived in Asyud, the ecclesiastical authorities allowed the secular authorities to take steps to arrest the man and to question him. <coughs> they wanted to first of all find if he was sound mentally. 
while he was waiting for questioning, her husband jumped from the window of his cell and committed suicide. Azawil Yun, who now prefers to be referred to, and I will from here on out, prefers to be, prefers to be referred to as Habiba Sha'ban, and I won't begrudge her that if she wants to change her name, she may, is still convalescing in the hospital, recovering from a double-digit number of knife wounds because of her entrance into Islam. You can see pictures of her. If you look her name up and look up Associated Press, you can see her laying in a hospital bed, niqab on, covered with a blanket, her right finger raised in a victory sign, also probably most likely to shell. I want to make this very clear to you. This is the reality of entrance into Islam for some. For some people, entrance into Islam can mean certain death, which is why I quoted those ayat. Because the magicians of the Pharaoh that became Muslim, if you read ayah 124 and on, what happened to them? Their hands and feet were cut off on the right and left sides of their body, and they were crucified. This is what awaits some people if they become Muslim. I want you to think about this and to consider the consequences. Alhamdulillah, wa kafa, wa salat wa salam wa ala, mala nabiya ba'da, wa ba'da. What I'm telling you is the reality of challenges that people throughout the earth face. For them, there is no such thing as taking Islam for granted. There's a, certain, there's a certain level of lackadaisicalness of some of the slaves of Allah when we discuss the fact of what happened to the companions of their being stabbed and martyred or suffering lifelong injuries. And some of the slaves of Allah think, well, alhamdulillah, that doesn't happen today. No, that's not true. That's not true. And I want to give you an example of these slaves of Allah because I want you to compare the quality of these Muslims to the quality of the converts that are in the United States, the Can Canada, and UK. I want you to compare the quality of Habiba Sha'aban's witness and the quality of the witness of converts to Islam in the United States, Canada, and the UK. Why? Because their reasons for coming into Islam were not because of embryology found in the Quran. 
Their reasons for coming to Islam were not because it's rational, and I found the Big Bang Theory mentioned in there. Their reasons for coming to Islam were not because, well, it's far more logical than the Trinity. That was not her reason for coming into this religion. Her reason, when you listen to her interview, her English obviously is not existent, it's translated, but alhamdulillah, I was able to listen to it. English hasn't been corrupted in the translation. She's very clear that the basis of the reason for her conversion was the salvation of faith. And so when the knife attack came, she did not buckle. If you look at the state of some of the slaves of Allah, that because embryology is mentioned in the Quran, they say, or because the Big Bang Theory is mentioned in the Quran, they say, this is what made me, or because Islam sounds logical, or Islam is for equal rights. When the 11th of September 2001 happened, when the bombings in 1995 happened, in which it was later found Timothy McVeigh was responsible rather than Muslims, when these things happened, those people were the first ones to either abandon Islam or to have their chest caved in. At the most crucial time where they were in danger and it was time for them to stand approved with their faith, they lost their courage. They lost their courage. I want you to think about this very quickly. If you look at Habiba Shaban in the photo, do you notice that there's no knife wounds on her hands, on the front or the back? Usually you get knife wounds on the front and back when someone is trying to fend off the attack. But, the, but the, the knife wounds that she has are on her thighs, her chest, and the tops of her back, which means she was facing her attacker the entire time. That is this deen. That is Islam. It didn't matter to her. She didn't run away. She didn't turn around. All the wounds were front-facing. That's Islam. You compare the quality of her witness to the quality of the converts here. I'm not saying all of them. I'm saying some. Because the basis on why we came to certain people who were converts and gave them the pamphlet or the booklet or the assorted pieces of trash that we gave them or the whatever it is we gave them. The basis of how they came into Islam and how they grip onto Islam is just as tenuous as the literature that some of us hand out. And if that's the basis of why you try to bring people to Islam or talk to them about Islam, that is the type of individual that you get. So look at them. The witness of Habiba Shaban is real. It's a real witness. And it's a fearless witness. She was laying in the hospital wearing niqab, not because she wanted to hide her face, but because she said, I'm not sure about the laws of who I can uncover and uncover in front of, so I'll just stay covered until I'm sure. That is Islam. 
that fearlessness, that basic faith. And it's something that some of us miss out on. Now, because of something happening in Woolwich, or something happening in the United States, or something happening in Texas, some people lose their heart. Some people lose their heart. Now, I'm not saying that you don't take precautions in case something might happen. But I'm saying some slaves of Allah, whether they're converts or whether they're coming from Muslim families, <coughs> they lose their heart. When the events happen, I'm usually the one that gets the phone calls from people saying, I just don't understand what happened. Did you do it? Well, no. When someone asks me, I'm ordering food, he comes and says, what happened in, in Willis? I said, I don't know. I didn't do it. I don't know. Did you do it? I don't know. But some people become concerned as if they're going to find a verse in the Quran. And when you meet them, smite them with your machetes. There is no such verse in the Quran. But people are concerned because they've had it beat into them regarding this religion. And the basis of their doubts comes from the weakness that they have towards this Islam. That's after all of this happened. After all of this fitna happened, Habib Shaban still became Muslim and stood up to the attacker and took the knife attack from her own husband in front of her own child. Is there anybody here who could stand for this religion? When you know that something's right and your own parents are attacking you, your own family's attacking you, and your life is in danger, and you still hold on to it. No, because some people have all different types of rationalizations. Well, in Islam, it says you're supposed to respect your parents. Even in Kufr, when they're telling you to do Kufr and worship idols. She was attacked in front of her own son and nearly murdered, and she didn't lose her way. That tiny woman, who's in the Associated Newspaper, is a lesson to me, to you, you, and you. Because what do you think about this Islam? How strong is your testimony? Have you started cutting or tapering down on how Muslim you look since Wooch? I can pass for white. Pull my jeans down a little bit extra. Make sure the Gillette rounds the whole area. Stay out of the sun so that way I don't get that sort of terracotta Asian look. And keep my hair cut short. Rather be mistaken for a Sikh than a Muslim. It's safer. If that's your condition, you're in a really bad situation. Because Islam is greater than myself, it's greater than you, and it's greater than anyone else. Islam is not based just in one person. And that's why when Rasulullah died, Islam didn't die with him. There were 124,000 other people that carried this religion that came out into the world. Egypt became Muslim. And there are stories, Father Michaelidis, I want you to listen to this. He's the most high-ranking patriarch in the Coptic Orthodox Church under Baba Shenouda, who died recently. You want to talk about someone who was a decent man or a friend to the Muslims? You want to talk about a righteous Kafir? Baba Shenouda was a righteous Kafir. 
whenever anything happened in Egypt with the Muslims, he was the first to go, not to the authorities, not to the police, to the Qadis, the Muftis, and the Sheikhs. What do we do about this? He was the first one, the highest ranking official in the Coptic Church. And when he died, Muslims cried because he was a respectful man, even though he was a Catholic. Muslims felt bad when he died because they knew that no one else could resist communism, democracy, all these other evils like he did. If you want to sit down in a meeting with someone, not these clowns here who can barely read English, that man. The second one under him, Michaelidis, said, we have a growing epidemic. In the past two decades, and I have the evidence with me on my DVD, he stated, over one million Coptic Christians have entered into Islam. The host was asking him, what would you say is the reason for this tribulation? Because it's a Christian program. He says, is it fundamentalism? Is it terrorism? Is it force? His response was a simple one-sentence answer. Those leaving my congregation and others say the Muslims have the answer and salvation. Nothing was mentioned about embryology or the Big Bang is there or the hydro, the water cycles mentioned in the Quran. Nothing like that was mentioned. Did you know the plate tectonic plates are mentioned in the Quran? People have said so many things in the book of Allah that are not in there. I'm waiting for people to start mentioning recipes for footlong subs and pizza recipes. And Did you know the dominoes is prophesied? Because it's made a joke of the speech of Allah. But these people that came into the religion are people that left Coptic Christianity. And they left it because of salvation and the Muslims have the answer. I want you and I want myself and you to really think today. When you meet someone and they express an interest in Islam, are you wasting their time with some cockamamie, poorly organized, deaf, dumb, and blind, could use it for toilet paper because it has the same value pamphlet or piece of Dawah literature, are you saying, I'll get you a translation of the Quran in English? I'll give you that. Or what is it you'd like to say? Let's sit down. You can ask me whatever questions you like. I have a translation of the Quran. Whatever I don't know, I'll try to find out for you. Are we trying to do that, or are we wasting their time with videos and tapes? And okay, you want to know about Islam? Here, take this pamphlet, take this video. Imagine if you went to the hospital and you said, I've got a shooting pain in my appendix. Here, take this pamphlet. You want to be seen to. You want to be looked after. Oh, I think I've got a problem with my lungs. I think, I've got, I think my lungs are filled with fluid. Here, watch this program, this DVD on fluid-filling lungs. You don't want that. You want someone to say, sit down. What exactly is your problem? Let me try to help you. The Coptic church is suffering, whether it's in Ethiopia or Egypt, it's suffering an implosion. And in Ethiopia, the Muslims are 20%. And there's crowds still 
leaving the Ethiopian Coptic church and becoming Muslim. Why? Because it's what the Muslims represent, but above that, it's what they're presenting. It's what they're presenting. People want to know the truth, and they want to know what's the meaning of life, not how smart you can be with a professor, how you can catch people off guard and how fun you can look in a, in, a, in a debate and how you can reply with little catchphrases and words. Because even if you win every single debate, you still lose a soul at the end of the whole thing. I'd rather lose 50 or 60 debates. I'd rather lose those and have one guy go home and think, you know, that Abu Jafar guy, some of the points he said, that's going to stick with me. I never thought about it that way before. I'd rather do that than win every single debate and think of myself as high-minded and worldly and wise and smart. Ooh, you sure showed him. You showed him nothing. Because when he left, he left in the same condition as he came. This is what I'm saying. So I want to end with saying this. <clears throat> Number one. There are people who sacrifice their lives every day to become Muslim. And it's not for the bogus, cockamamie, barn buster reasons that are sometimes flung across here. These are people who really do sacrifice and they become Muslim. And they pay for it, either with their lives or lifelong injuries. Number two, the courage of those people has not yet been replicated in the United States, Canada, and the UK. It's not yet been replicated. And the, some of the same challenges are faced by converts here in certain circumstances, but it hasn't been replicated here yet. Why? Not because of quantity, because of quality. Number three. This then falls to us to think about. What type of Muslims are we calling to or making or inviting? What type of people are we looking for? And what type of people are we making? You have to ask these questions to yourself. Because those people that become Muslim and sacrifice everything, she can't go back to her family. She can live in us youth, but she can't live there. Not with her family, not with her church. That's it for her now. She's out. Those people made sacrifices. Number four, if we really want to speak to people about Islam, the first thing that started off the revelation was the speech of Allah. What started off the revelation was not the multiples of 19 you can find in Surah Tawbah or Surah Al-Nahal or how much the Quran matches with science how much it matches with history oh every time we look at the word man we find the word seven and then when we look at the Quran was not a crystal ball it was the revelation that was given and we have to get back into that habit of giving people the revelation I went, to a, I went to a lecture recently where I was asked to speak about the Prophet Isa alayhi salam, and the Christians were dumbfounded because they'd never heard this type of speech before. Because all they ever heard was either kumbayaish interfaith 
which is watered down jello pudding chocolate Islam, or they've heard an aggressive super intellectualism that doesn't deal with the nature of the spirit and the eternal judgment awaiting those that reject faith. So when they heard that, they thought, I've never heard that before. So there's work to be done. Number five, and finally. <clears throat> when you look at most of the time, and I say this all the time, being a Muslim is a struggle. The times of comfort that you get are merely small oases in the desert of difficulty. Ma'roof al-Qarqi, rahimahullah, one of the top students of Imam Ahmed, once came into the presence of Abu al-Hasan al-Baghdadi and he was wearing wool. And Abu al-Hasan al-Baghdadi looked at his clothes and he said, I hope before you wear this on the outside that you look like this on the inside. And Ma'roof al-Qarqi cried. Because the process of carding wool is a process of roughness and difficulty. And at the end of it, when wool is smooth, that's at the end of all the trials and tribulations. And that's when it's beautiful, like how we see it when we wear it. So he says, I hope your inside looks like this first before you wear this wool. This is the reality. We have to accurately put across this faith. And we can't be afraid because, like I said, the struggles that you go through, that's the norm. The relief that you get, those brief glimpses, those are oases on the desert while you're trekking towards the end result. So if you're ever saying, how come I'm going through so many trials and difficulties and struggles? It seems that since I've become Muslim, I started getting serious and, quote, practicing, as if you're in tennis, I started practicing again that I'm going through no end of difficulties. Yes, that's because people that say, la ilaha illallah, that's what they go through. No one forced you to say it. You can go back and start calling yourself bow again and shave your beard and try to go back into the system. I'm not going to blame you. That's on you. But for those that say, la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, well, it's a different matter for them. They understand trials and tribulations. And they're not weakened by the, by the revolution of the world. They don't try to reconcile with the world because they know the world's in rebellion to Allah. They understand that. So they plot on nonetheless. And they stay like the blade of grass, or as the Prophet said in the hadith in Bukhari, the believer is like the date palm tree. He gives fruit in every season, even though he suffices with very little water, and he's surrounded by desolation. That's what you're surrounded by, desolation. But you still give fruit. Ask yourself, do you give fruit? Or are you reconciled with the world? Allah, 
وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير اللهم لا مانع لما عطيت ولا معطي لما منعت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد اللهم اغفر لنا المؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات والمحسنين والمحسنات والمجاهدين ومناقبات الأحياء منهم والأموات Oh Allah, we ask you to forgive us for our sins for the last Juma up until this Juma and you make us better believers than we were when we came today. Oh Allah, we ask you to protect us from cowardice and weakness and that you give us a place of that bravery and strength in times of difficulty. Oh Allah, we ask the slaves of Allah that come into this religion that we don't waste their time and we don't drive them away. Oh Allah, we ask that we don't become a fitna for those that come into this religion so that we cause them to leave it. And oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who feel no fear but fear of you and you alone, oh Lord. And oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who remember those Muslims who are suffering throughout the world that stand for this faith, for you and you alone. Oh Allah, we ask that the slaves of Allah that are being martyred, that are being maimed, murdered, attacked, and suffering all types of difficulties and tribulations, we ask, oh Allah, that you bless those people and give them, give them, give them ease in their time of hardship. Oh Allah, we ask that you bless the families of those slaves of Allah and give them ease in their times of hardship. Oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who are productive, upright, and righteous, and not among those who are cowardly and weak and compromise. Amen. Oh Allah, let us not be among those who compromise when it's not a time to compromise. Amen. Oh Allah, let us not be weak in times where it's required that we're strong. Amen. And oh Allah, let us not be weak in the times of difficulty and hardship when it requires that we're strong. Amen. And oh Allah, let those among us who are the men, let us be strong when it's not time to be weak. Amen. And oh Allah, remove from us the cowardice that may make us lose sight in front of our families. Make us among those who are strong and brave for your sake and your sake alone, oh Allah. Amen. And oh Allah, we ask that those who have righteousness in their hearts that they help those who are weaker than them and require their help. Amen. And oh Allah, we ask that those siblings obey those who are above them in authority as their siblings. Amen. And oh Allah, we ask that the children obey their parents because they have authority over them in the matters that Allah has called righteousness. Amen. And oh Allah, we ask that the wives are obedient to their husbands in the matters that Allah has called righteousness. Amen. And oh Allah, we ask that the parents are right, that, 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 that the children obey their parents in the matters that Allah has called righteousness. Amen. And oh Allah, we ask that you make us among those who assist our neighbors that have asked us for assistance in all the matters that have to do with righteousness. Amen. And oh Allah, we ask that you bless us in all of our affairs, that we attend them for your sake and your sake alone. We fear no one but you and you alone. No. Clarity about reality. See more at no.com.